Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. <sighs> Aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price $999.99. APR while supplies last. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! This is the Formation Lab. Welcome, everybody, to the Formation Lab. I'm Luke. I'm Tim. And we're joined by a very, very special guest. We're joined by Todd from the Park for May podcast. How are you doing, Todd? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be here. Well, the honor is all ours because we went to uh, one of your live presentations earlier this season, and we had always kicked around doing a podcast, um, especially with me working here at Hubbard and him being an encyclopedia of Formula One knowledge. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and uh, we just kind of went there and we were like, you know, we can we can do this kind of thing. Like, yeah. this, this, is good. this would be fun. So uh, it's awesome to have a direct inspiration to the show on uh, doing it with us. So, uh, you're very kind. Well, uh, I appreciate you guys coming to our event. It's always fun. We do these every year in St. Louis and mm-hmm. they're terrific fun. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys are doing it. It's exciting you guys are starting your podcast and uh, excited to be here. It, they're terrific fun when Tim doesn't buzzkill the whole event. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it just happened to be the evening that the news broke that Charlie Whiting had passed away. And, while uh, we were there at the know, event. Yeah. While we were there. And so Tim, you know, as shocked as everyone else in the room, you know, raised his hand and said, I, I don't know anybody. This just came in. Charlie passed away. And, yeah, I mean, it uh, put a pall on the, on, on the evening there for a moment, as it, as it should. You know, it's, a, it's, it's huge news. He came out and he was like, he was like, oh, I feel like I ruined the evening. And I'm like, it's. I killed it. I'm like, I completely killed the evening. I'm like, we talk <laughs> no, about Formula fine. One. What bigger story to have just yeah. broke? Like, yeah. you, they it has had ramifications it. through the season. So it has. We actually yeah. have a uh, article we'll talk about later uh, by Chris Medland uh, that talked about the ramifications of penalties. But first, we're going to talk about the biggest news piece of the day we record these on tuesdays both both carlos science and lando norris will be returning to mclaren for the 2020 season any any surprise there tim no and i mean with all the rumors going around so far of everybody that might be moving it's cool to see that one of my favorite driver lineups is going to be intact for next year they're both ferociously talented um so it makes sense for mclaren it makes sense for the drivers and i'm excited to see what the future holds for them 
Any any take from that topic? Yeah, no, I I agree with Tim. I think uh, I think both drivers are doing a fantastic job. There was always that vacuum, right? Uh, when Fernando left, you move Carlos Sainz into that role. Those are huge shoes to fill, right? And I think Carlos has done a great job of filling those shoes with the car that he's got and and helping develop now through that throughout the year. So I think with all the moves that McLaren are making you really kind of back up at 30,000 foot and look what Zach's done is personnel, right? Mm-hmm. You bring in Andres Seidel, you bring in the right key personnel, you get some management structure. Uh, Zach and the team very, or Andreas in particular, very complimentary of what Fernando and Stoffel Van Dor did in development last year to get him to this point, right? But I think Carlos and Lando have done a fantastic job. What you want out of those two drivers, you want both drivers finishing nose to tail in the points. And that's exactly what they're doing. And to be honest with you, uh, through some attrition, some issues that Carlos has had, um, not his fault, but Lando has been doing a bang-up job, bang-up job in qualifying, great job in the race. Uh, when Carlos isn't there, Lando picks up the mantle and scores points and vice versa, and that's exactly what you want for this duo. So uh, no surprise at all. I think that's a great pairing. And I think McLaren fans have to be happy not only from the you know production on, on track, but I think from off track, those are two very marketable stars. Yeah. Uh, Lando Norris is online streaming all the time on Twitch. I think they're reaching out and they're making it fun to be a, a McLaren fan. They're driver combinations that are good, but they're not exactly as fun to root for as this McLaren duo we see right now. I think they're reaching out to people who might not even be interested in Formula One, much in a drive to survive kind of way, except they're reaching out to Twitch. They're reaching out to quote, meme lords, which is, I think, the, <laughs> the quote that Carlos Sainz had uh, to Lando Norris on the announcement video today. Uh, they're fun to watch. It's just, it's a, it's a real pleasure. And you can, you know, pretty much bet that after every race, there's going to be something funny said by one of the two of them about the race. Like, you know, in the unfortunate wreck that uh, where Lando was hit, he launches a meme afterward that I'm laughing my tail off at. You know the you know. Uh, I think we, a shooting star. Was no, the uh, we're in Grand Prix 1000, but I'm you know racing in Grand Prix 3000, and he <laughs> yeah. gets it's it was just really funny. It's a good it's good to see, you know, a good uh, sense of humor between the two of them, a good uh, relationship, and yeah, I think it's going to attract more folks to the McLaren side as you know and build that McLaren fan base, and that's been kind of abused for a little bit now. Yeah, and it's a little antithetical if you think about. The overall milieu of McLaren, right? Yeah. All the years of the sterility, the, you know, the nose to the grindstone, the Ron Dennis era, you know, with the dust buster, you know, vacuuming people's workstations for them when something was out of, you know, alignment. But with Zach coming in there uh, to have these two drivers uh, infuse a little personality in that team and a little levity. I think is a, a McLaren we're not used to. They're they're very much propeller heads over there throughout the whole organization. So it's great to see that levity there. Yeah, I think I think uh, one of my favorite Lando Norris moments was actually just happened yesterday. There was a Reddit thread that was, "Have you ever run into an F1 driver?" And uh, Lando Norris just dropped by and said, "I met Daniel Kvyat once. Ran into him while I was driving around China." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and people almost looked over it until they're like, oh, wait, that's actually Lando Norris. So let's move on to the other McLaren driver. It's a Tuesday. It's a week of the day. That means it's time for more Fernando Alonso drama. <laughs> we, I regret every time there's Fernando Alonso drama, I have two Fernando Alonso shirts that I wear. And it's our drama shirt. 
Uh, one of them is McLaren Honda returns to the 500 a couple years ago. <laughs> And this year, I also went to the Indy 500, and would you believe that Fernando Alonso gear was like 40% off? Ah. Yeah, it was very cheap. So uh, Tim got a nice shirt. I scored a very nice shirt that <laughs> nice. I'm thrilled with. Yeah, the, one of that, awesome. that, uh, that black team shirt that they yeah. have. I yeah. love that thing. Yeah, and it's, it's comfy. It's great. Yeah. So at least at least when they're found at the Indy 500, we get good swag, right? Right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. But, exactly. But uh, I, I can't wear my – I don't have my drama shirt on today, but Fernando Alonso drama. Oh, boy, here we go again. So I think uh, you covered this on your podcast, Todd. Uh, there was uh, on Friday there were reports that Alonzo had uh, officially cut ties with McLaren. Uh, I think that was Motorsport Magazine that uh, initially broke that, and immediately uh, Zach Brown and a bunch of people were like, "Oh, that's fake news." I know uh, Fernando Alonso himself tweeted out that it yeah. was it was like not uh, it was not it's not even April Fool's Day, and we yeah. were we're breaking. It's a silly day. I just I, I sat there and I scratched my head the whole time as to why because Motorsport Magazine is usually a pretty reliable source. Um, if they went to McLaren and McLaren said this, which I would believe that they did, where is the disconnect between what this McLaren representative says and this McLaren representative said? Yeah. I, they all just kind of need to get their crap in a bag and just get it together, you know? Yeah, it's kind of what we were wondering on our podcast, uh, which we recorded last night, and we were kind of unpacking this a little bit and trying to figure out. Motorsport Magazine I've, I've subscribed to for years. It's always been a high-quality magazine. I, there's nothing in me that believes that they would wholesale fabricate a story like that. That's just not the way they roll. Um, but what's intriguing is, and to your point, Luke, I think it might be a combination of two different press people within McLaren having two different comments to two different press outlets, right? Uh, because – and what I – I understand why motorsport.com then comes back and says, oh, you know, Motorsport Magazine. And and we're sort of throwing them under the bus a little bit, a little, you know, a little uh, competitiveness. Fair enough. And they went to themselves and got a, a response. And the response was, no, that's not true. And I thought that was interesting for McLaren to come back out and say, no, that story is not true. Um, did they did they? Do a little internal soul searching. Who who talked to Motorsport Magazine before you throw that that publication under the bus? I found that interesting. But then when you go and parse the actual words that Zach says and the second statement from McLaren where there's a contractual – they mentioned contractual twice. And I have to think honestly with Fernando where there's smoke, there's fire. I think there's more to this story than what they're telling us. We actually have that quote right here. Uh, it's nothing whatsoever – it is not, and nothing whatsoever has changed in the status of the relationship. McLaren and Fernando have continuing and contractual relationships, uh, and Fernando remains a McLaren ambassador. Contractual. <laughs> That's the one word. And, you know, if it's Zach Brown and a marketing person, that means that there was a meeting where they said, we have to hammer home that this is contractual. And I don't think that that's a message for anybody other than the Fernando camp. Yeah, that is them saying, hey, by the way, we still have this. And, you know, that first comment, I don't know who that comes from, you know, if it's inside McLaren or if it's, uh, you know, uh, someone in Fernando's camp saying that this is what's kind of going on and they're trying to break. But clearly there's a strained relationship and it's a matter of time. And, you know, this has also happened where the Fernando camp said, you know, fake news to the Ferrari president, the former Ferrari president, when they were interviewed on the uh, Beyond the Grid uh, podcast for F1, the official one saying, 
you know, said something negative about Fernando and Fernando said, oh, that's fake news. But he was actually on the show and he said exactly what he was quoted in the article as saying. So it, you know, it kind of makes me think that this is true and it's going to be playing out as such. And I was thinking the same thing. If McLaren and Fernando aren't on the same page, which actually Alonzo made an interesting uh, Instagram post the night we dropped our last one where he confirmed that he would be back to the Indy 500, mm. uh, quote, soon, I think was the quote, not specifically next year, but he'll be back. I think even, like you said, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think while they're together now, we're watching kind of a decoupling in slow motion here uh, between McLaren and Fernando. Yeah, I think you may be right, Luke. If you look at uh, you look human nature, he wasn't happy about the Indy 500 debacle mm-hmm. at all. I mean, nobody was. Right? Rightfully so. Yeah. And Zach, you know, mea culpa, he, he, you know, hat in hand, went to the press and said, yeah, we really, really cocked that up. There's no doubt about it. Um, so Fernando, not happy about that. It's well known Fernando isn't maybe the, the easiest person to work with, right? Did you guys catch the news? Um, and it might be Hat Tip Autosport, but they, uh, the team boss for Toyota came out this week and said, after Alonzo announced he's leaving Toyota, and he they asked him about it, he says, "You know, look, I've read the other comments about Alonzo, and you know, sure, inside Toyota when he was with us, there were some sparks, you yeah, know, sure, uh, but but he's not, you know, he's a great driver, and we're happy to have him with us. I I think Alonzo is looking for the best opportunity for him, and right now the Indy 500 didn't work out at McLaren. He's looking for other opportunities. Zach reminds him he's contractually obligated to McLaren." Um, the misnomer, I think the misdirect is Alonzo's tweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, I, it will, it'll be weird for me to see uh, Alonzo not with McLaren anymore, but I can't, I can't think of a way that he would work their way back in their plans. You, you have two Formula One drivers right now. McLaren's not going to have any openings no. for the, for the foreseeable future. No. So if Fernando really does want back into F1, and he wants an Indy 500 seat, he's going to have to go to other places because McLaren, as far as I know, is still technically undecided on their IndyCar project right, right now. And like we just said, there are no openings. I think we're watching just a slow decoupling, and Fernando is going to have to find somewhere else yeah. to go. And yeah. that might be what this is, is yeah. he's trying to accelerate that process and find a new spot. I could see that. I could see that. You know, it really pains me because I grew up. Um, I liked Fernando a lot when I was. He's a, awesome. I was a little more impressionable about. I was a little more naive, I would say, about uh, how drama works in the F one yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's it's funny to watch and be like, you know, I root for him, but man, if he was a guy that I didn't like, I could see why he would be, you know, very like hateable because there's just drama that surrounds him. Yeah, all yeah, the there time. is. And I've got some insider information through a connection at a team that. That I can't share because it would be compromising mm-hmm. uh, the integrity uh, and relationship we have. But I, I know for a fact that mm-hmm. uh, he's not easy to work with. And the, the team uh, has explained that to me. So uh, – but all that being said though, he's phenomenally talented. One of the best absolute drivers on that grid bar none. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but to your best. point, Luke, one of the best drivers in the world, yeah. period. Yeah. Um, but to your point, Luke, if he wants back an F1, I don't see a, a seat at the table at McLaren. Mm. But I don't see him going anywhere in F1 unless he thinks he's got a chance to podium or win or, or, or trajectory, right? Mm. And right now, you know, is that Ferrari? And I don't see Ferrari picking up that option either. I, I 
we were talking earlier and we're like, I think the only seat really available right now in the in that top six would be Pierre Gasly's seat, which mm-hmm. has been just been surrounded in controversy. But I don't think Fernando would be the kind of guy to sit behind uh, Max Verstappen and play second fiddle to him no. because he's not going to be the number one driver on that team. No, no, he wouldn't. And I don't think Christian Horner would want the drama. And yeah. with as much, you know, recent bad blood as there's been between those two camps, I can't see them coming together for, yeah. you know, with all this, the sniping back and forth in the press last year and all that, you know, all those shenanigans. I just can't see them, you know, coming together in a happy way. Yeah. And that ending well for anybody. No, so. I don't think it would. I, I don't think. And I think Christian has in the past had some comments that were less than savory about Fernando. Yeah. Uh, so I don't see that happening either. Christian Horner was in the news today. He doubled down and said Pierre Gasly's seat is <laughs> not under any threat, quote unquote. We said this last week. Uh, I, you guys might have said it in your podcast. I forget. But in North American sports, a lot of times we refer to this coach's job is not under any threat as the kiss of death. <laughs> That's exactly right. How, how many times yeah. do you hear, oh, so-and-so, he's not under any threat. And then within yeah. two weeks, he's fired. I really read, <laughs> read yeah. into that as – uh, Christian Horner doubles down on Pierre Gasly. He had a quote here, and uh, there's no intention to change Pierre. He's our driver. We're going to work with him. We'll try to get our best out of him. He's having a tough time at the moment, yada, yada, yada. He's a quick driver. The problem he has got is that Max is delivering every week, and that puts more pressure on him to perform, but we're sticking by him. Now, Todd, we've been gifted by uh, 101 ESPN here. A universal Formula One translator. So let me just let me just put this in real quick. Okay. Okay. So it's saying that he's gone by summer break. Is is what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, it, while it's not, while he is saying we're going to stick by him, it's also uh, he's having a hard time. We'll try to get the best out of him. Um, you know, we'll. I think we have to. Uh, somehow go control alt delete in his head and start again. Those aren't glowing comments. No, no, no they're not. And you know if you yeah reading between the lines, uh, the, he's not long for that seat. But I don't know who they would like. I don't know that they would try Kvyat again. Well, I think on the on the Pierre Gasly front, <clears throat> there's a couple issues in my mind anyway. Uh, from my perspective, is number one is uh, Pierre Gasly is a very quick driver. Mm-hmm. And I think all three of us would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an aggressive driver, though. He's he's in that sense. He's he's very much um, uh, a little bit like Lewis Hamilton. I'm not implying that they're on par with each other. They're clearly not. But he's an aggressive. He breaks super late. He's an aggressive turn and takes a lot of curb. He's just an aggressive driver. And that car doesn't lend itself to that kind of driving style. And Max, who used to be that way, look how he's driving this year. Mm -hmm. There's a flow, a a finesse that Max is doing that's very un-Max if you go back a couple of years, right? So Max has made that – you know, he's adapted to that. And Max is killing it this year. And Pierre – for whatever reason, hasn't been able to get his head around his driving style and his approach and make that uh, adoption of of really accommodating that car and driving to the car instead of trying to force the car to his driving style. So I think that's one of the real challenges that that Pierre is having right now. The team in that case, to, to Christian's point, is that they would come around him and coach him and nurture him and try to help him develop 
that sort of racecraft that would allow him to uh, be quicker, right? But if you look at the delta between him and Max and through nine races, it's the worst delta on the grid, right? Um, so much so that he was lapped by Max in Austria. So that's a difficult situation. But to your point, Luke, what are you going to say as a team boss? I mean, what are you going to say? The guy's doing crap. You you let Helmut Marco say those things, mm-hmm. right? Which he has been doing. Yes, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Helmut Marco has been taking no prisoners uh, in in his words with Pierre Gasly. And uh, I, I found another quote interesting uh, from Christian Horner. Quote, let's not forget that Max didn't uh, didn't do a race run on Friday as he crashed in P2, so he had no data. So other than that, we got – basically we got the data from Pierre. And I put on this little this little outline we have here, is there any less credit you could have given a driver yeah. than we got data from his practice here's, session? Here's a clue. Max doesn't need Pierre's data. <laughs> no. Pierre could just not show up for the rest of the year and Max didn't, doesn't bother Max. Max harvests his own data and makes it, you know. <laughs> I think I think too when we were talking about the evolution of Max Verstappen and how he changes his yes. driving style to this new uh, to this car we have this year, I, I think it goes to show because we see a lot of articles coming in about this is the new more mature Max and we don't have the Mad Max anymore. Well, we saw a little bit of the Mad Max in lap sixty nine in Austria. That was a little old school, but it was going for the race win. That's a racing deal. Yeah, that's a racing deal. But uh, but yeah, there was there was that point last year. Uh, midway through summer the year. Summer on. Right? Yes, yeah, summer After on. the summer break, his entire career changed. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that was a Helmut Marco yes. intervention? Yep. Yeah. For so, sure. you know, it's – but there is a clear difference between pre-summer and post-summer max. Well, yeah. and to your point, Tim, it, 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 you're spot on because look at – Max, if if you wanted to put a push pin in his career, you could say it was after the summer break last year. That's true. But really, he'd been there for three seasons. Mm-hmm. And he was breaking wings. He was forcing errors. He was, you know, he was coming unhinged. He had three seasons and Helmut Marco had enough. And either they're going to fashion and hone <laughs> this raw talent into a champion or they're not. And I think they all had that really that come to Jesus moment at that summer break. And I think Max finally took it on board and now it's paying dividends in spades. And I'm a little concerned because I have to think that they've had that similar conversation with Pierre and we haven't seen that reversal of fortune yet. Well, I think it takes a special kind of athlete. I see this all the time, mm. you know, here at ESPN, hockey, baseball, yep. whatever it is, it takes a special kind of athlete, not just to be good, but to be able to change how you're good yep. at it, right? You can't just turn a power hitter into a contact hitter all the time. So maybe it takes a special kind of talent to go from a super aggressive drive to a super conservative drive and still be effective at yeah. whatever you need. So yeah. maybe Pierre is just fast, but he doesn't have that extra gene in him that is we can swap between one and two. Well, mm-hmm. if you think, too, if the three of us were born and raised in carts, and let's say all three of us were racing carts since we were five, let's say, mm-hmm. and our entire racing careers are built around the kind of chassis that in the junior series as we come through the ranks, when you get to Formula One, it's a whole different deal, right? And, you know, Paul Charsley on our podcast is is famous for always talking about how some drivers you would think would be – they're gangbusters in Formula Two – and you think they're going to tear it up in F1 and they get to F1 and they don't. And the reverse is true. Some drivers don't do that great in Formula 2, but when they – Nigel Mansell is one of them. But when he got to Formula 1, he lit it up, right? So there's this ability to 
adapt and instantly change your driving style, which I think would be asking any one of us to change our complete business skill set, which is tough, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that that's, that's really difficult to do. In answer to your query, though, and Tim was uh, mentioned this, uh, I don't know why they wouldn't take a punt on Daniel Kafid. He's doing fantastic this year. He's got rid of the red mist. His racecraft is much better. He's always had the pace. Uh, and here's an example of a young man who was off, you know, off the rails. They, they cooled him off. They iced him for a season over at Ferrari, brought him back in, and he's done what, they're ho- what they were hoping Pierre would do. Mm-hmm. Adapt, change, hone your racecraft, and show some speed. And if I'm Helmut Marco, the draconian side of me says, all right, for one race, I'm going to put Daniel in, have him run the car on Friday, mm-hmm. compare it to Max. What do you got to lose? Yeah, at this point, well, because, I mean, the points gap is startling. Yeah. And, you know, you could, as Red Bull, you could be in front of Ferrari mathematically right That's now. right. And so to have Because that, Max is. Exactly. Yeah. And so to have the gap be that big... As Red Bull, that's that's a lot of money on the line. Yeah. So you know why not take a, take a gamble? It can't get a whole lot worse. Right. And you know so by but by summer break, I mean, Kvyat would be the the uh, the the one I would probably go with. But I you know it's like will they do it? Will they you know do the same thing that they did with Kvyat and kind of demote and see and yeah. hope that he does progress? Well, there's a precedent there. Yeah. I was gonna say uh, I just. I started as an IndyCar fan. IndyCar was kind of my first love, and I just grew from it's a great into sport. racing from from there into all disciplines. I mean, I'm just yeah. always at the track. But uh, I, I'm intrigued by Pato Award. They obviously have him way down in a Super yeah. Formula in Japan. And I'm sitting here, and I see every once in a while somebody say, well, they have Pato Award. Pato Award's not fast enough yet. I don't think – I, I don't think Pato awards quick enough down. Does he have a super license? I don't think he does either. Yeah. Um, and he was good in IndyCar, but being good in IndyCar does yeah. not mean being good. He's not. There are drivers on the Formula One grid right now who aren't ready for the, what I would say. I would say they aren't ready for the Red Bull seat right now. Correct to pr- produce under that thing, under that pressure with that kind of expectations. So I would think that Kvyat would be your only in-house solution because we all know Red Bull really does like in-house solutions. They do. And and, and so if you look at Toroso, you've got Kvyat and Alex Albon. And I would say Alex is doing a great job this year too. Mm-hmm. I like him a lot. Yeah, I do I too. like his driving style and I like yeah. how just how calm he is in yeah. every single post-session uh, yeah. interview. Real measured. Very measured. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that, that belies his age. It does. For sure. It does. Uh, very much like uh, Charles Leclerc, right? Mm. So – I think Alex has done a great job. They could roll the dice and say, you know, we've tried Kafiat in that Red Bull. Let's let's give Alex a shot. That wouldn't surprise me. My, I think right now, I think Daniel's quicker, mm-hmm. um, and so I would go with Daniel uh, before Alex. But uh, that's not to take anything away from Alex. I think he's done a great job. But it's his first year, and you know, he was a throwaway too mm-hmm. for Red Bull. They let him go. Their program has had some interesting casualties. Yeah, it has. <laughs> yeah. And some serious attrition. Yeah. Right? But it's yeah. cool to see some of the former drivers from the Red Bull program still do well in other teams like Carlos Sainz. Yes. Has been doing very, very well, which is excellent. Sebastian yeah. Vettel, this year aside, and some of the you know spinny stuff has been very good. So it's yeah. they do produce excellent yeah. drivers. They do. I, I, think, I think it wouldn't stun me at all. If they move Kafiat mid-year, that wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, but it probably wouldn't surprise me if they tried to double down and work with Pierre and get him to the end of the season either. 
So we'll wrap up the the Pierre talk with uh, one last thing. We calculated uh, prior to Austria, I think it was, that if Pierre Gasly had averaged a sixth-place finish, uh, so the last of those top three teams, uh, the gap between Mercedes, or the gap between Ferrari and Red Bull would be something like 24 or 25 points in terms of overall standings because he hasn't been averaging sixth place. Um, and I think... Red Bull are just kind of scratching their heads going, you know, we could be losing a cha- one huge spot in the championship yeah. if we if we don't just fix this problem. Right, and to Tim's point, uh, the delta there is worth tens of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So uh, Chris Medland, while we're talking Austria, Chris Medland wrote an article on Racer.com. It posited that Austria did a great job of showing what F1 needed to fix. In fact, more so uh, than France showed what F1 needed to fix. Mm. Uh, So he said that one of the biggest problems holding F1 back is the team's inability to decide on anything. Uh, Comes after Christian Horner called for a second look at the curbs in Austria. I know for years, you know, fans were like, oh, you're running wide on these paved tarmacs. Austria puts those down. Everybody says, awesome. And now Christian Horner's going, well, maybe we need to, you know, take a second look at those. Those are awfully expensive curbs. And just this air of it's chaos whatever these teams want it's absolute chaos who knows what they're going to decide on next i think there's a bit of a bit of a trail he has a bit of a point there that teams need to kind of figure out what they want in one collective push yeah i haven't read i don't know chris i haven't read his article uh that you're referencing but uh a couple things come to mind when i was going over your notes before the podcast and i was looking at i was thinking well okay so the first thing about the teams agreeing to anything, uh, if if and I don't know how long you guys have been watching Formula One, mm-hmm. but um, but one team's Achilles' heel is another team's strength, mm-hmm. so they're never going to agree. If um, if one team says, "Hey, the tires are blowing up at turn uh, the last turn at Indianapolis, and we need to put a chicane in there," the other teams are like, "No, you bought a crap tire, and we're not putting a chicane. We're not going to change the race." And then you have six cars start the race, right? So the teams are never going to agree a hundred percent unless it's just whacked out crazy, put sprinklers in, and give gold medals, right? <laughs> so then you know maybe they would, but I think that that's one of the elements. The other thing about um, the curbing is. Curbing in and of itself, aggressive curbing, not so aggressive curbing, um, some chassis can handle the curbs a lot better than others. And you get, if you recall, Lewis Hamilton's front wing cracking, right? Mm -hmm. Long pit stop, puts him in the clutches of Max, and it works. Christian Horner was right. They didn't need to replace curbs there. (laughs) And and because, you know— he knows it's an Adrian Newey car, and maybe he built it, and it's a tank, and they're they don't have any problems with the curbs, you know. I uh, I I think to me that like I come from a spectator, right? And I I want the teams to kind of agree on something, but mm-hmm. I to your point, I see that. I mean, th- these are teams; they're acting in their bo- own best interest. And, There's too much money to agree, right? And yep. So. Sometimes what's best for a spectator is not what's best for the team, but that's the nature of any sport. Sure. Is the Yankees are going to win five World Series in a decade. That's just how it's going to go, but that's <laughs> right. they have to act in their own best interest. And I think that first point wasn't as interesting to me as the second point, mm. um, which was that the three-hour delay in the decision of mm-hmm. Max Verstappen's uh, race-winning pass, which I think – Hands up, everybody except uh, knew that was going to be pretty much nothing uh, yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
he said drivers have too much say in penalty decisions. This quote, uh, in no other sport does a player get to talk to the referee and influence the referee's decision. The referee makes an immediate and final judgment without the input from any player in the sport. And that kind of got me thinking about the influence that, you know, Charles Leclerc is going to go protest this and Sebastian Vettel is going to go protest this. And I'm thinking that now when I'm stepping back and looking at it, that is kind of a weird thing. And I think that we need maybe a little more, a little less driver input through that. Yeah, I guess I have a different perspective about Chris's point here. And and let me explain it myself. So, um, players in NBA have direct access to refs, mm-hmm. and the refs hear about it. Uh, home plate umpires have direct access to the players, and the, and the players will let them know if they think their strike zone's high, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the, stick and ball sports have direct access to the referees. The teams and drivers do not, right? They're in the FIA or stewarding room. The teams have to formally radio in and lodge a complaint. The driver can complain all he wants on the radio, but that doesn't necessarily mean the FIA is going to do it. I think Chris is giving a little too much deference to the driver impact and influence over a penalty. Lewis Hamilton can say, oh, so dangerous. But that wasn't why necessarily. It's the teams that lodge the complaints. Um, and the teams will radio up to the FIA and say, hey, this happened. You know, we feel that this is an infraction. Would you review it? It's up to the FIA whether they will or not. Clearly, the Vettel thing in Canada was a big event on track. And, of course, the FIA is going to look at it. So I don't think that they have as much influence over the stewards as maybe Chris is suggesting they do. Um, I've spoken to Charlie Whiting. I've talked to some of the people in the FIA. I, you know, I think they they try to remain pretty – autonomous from any sort of influence like that. I'm not arguing that some teams like Mercedes or or Ferrari might have a bigger influence over that. But um, what I would suggest is, is in that sense, though, and to your point, Luke, I think the driver influence over calling a penalty. If a driver calls in and says, oh, my gosh, you know, Roma Grosjean in Canada said that about Perez. Oh, he ran me wide. Yeah. Did he get a penalty? Did anyone review that? Probably not um i don't i don't think that's a big issue but the counterpoint to what you're saying would be with sebastian vettel lewis hamilton very much showing up at these fia meetings now and very engaged and wanting having more driver input in the fia regulations and the fia penalties right and so the drivers now in the GPDA are arguing that the FIA needs to take more driver input on the penalties. So this is the counterbalance to Chris's argument, I think. I think we talked about this last week. I think that, that – I, I could see that counterbalance because I've argued for that counter, yeah. counterbalance yeah, yeah, before. Yeah. Did you? Okay. Uh, we talked about uh, – I think it was the 19 – thank goodness we're on the internet and the FCC doesn't uh, do this because we talked <laughs> about the 1960-whatever Supreme Court ruling on pornography where it's literally just – the Supreme Court says – I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. And I thought that that kind of mentality maybe has been written out of the rule book a little too much. And we need drivers to be able to sit there on a steward's council and be say, all right, well, I don't know sometimes how we can technically define a penalty down to this, this and this. But I think we can all agree we know it when we see it and we need to try and apply it evenly across the board. Yeah, you you bring up a great point, Luke. We we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, at the Race Review podcast mm-hmm. with Paul. And Paul, uh, for those who don't know, Paul's a professional driver. And so I was asking him the, the same exact thing you just said, Luke, was that 
as a professional driver, there is a professional driver code of ethics on that track. Everyone in NASCAR knows that. Everyone in IndyCar, everyone in Formula One knows. They know what's acceptable and what's not. They know when they're being pushed into the wall. They know when there's dirty driving. And to your point, Luke, that's hard to write down exactly in a, in a legalese, regulatory set of rules, but I know it when I see it, right? And to your point, there, there, I think a lot of that can be resolved on track. I think a lot of this, I think right now, this is the argument that we've achieved nanny state. And I think that's what Chris is arguing too. He's looking at it as the drivers having a direct impact on what gets penalized or reviewed or not. Um, I don't know that I totally agree with that, but I understand his point. He's saying, hey, we kind of leave the drivers out of it. And, and this whining and moaning over the radios and trying to get, you know, this is a, a, akin to, uh, you know, uh, People in the British Premier League taking a fall, you know, they get tapped and they fall down trying to draw penalties, right? And that's where we are, I think. Yeah. And I think that's what Chris is addressing. And no, I mean, I was going to talk about, you know, forcing it wide and, you know, even drivers that can stay in that gap when they know they've been beaten to the corner mm-hmm. and they can stay there and just bank on the stewards intervening on their behalf. Right. And so it. Which is what be, Pedro De La Rosa's tweet yeah, was about, exactly. which I caught Karun Chandhawk plagiarizing <laughs> yep, yep. as his own. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So – and I I just couldn't remember who said it last week, yeah. but we quoted him last week. And But I agree with that where it's, yes. it's – it is clear that they are banking on someone intervening to, yeah. to win their argument. So, and yeah. Do you think Austria – Luke, do you think that that exposed that in some sense like Chris is implying? I, I don't know if it exposed it. I think it's always been a little bit uh, mm-hmm. of an open secret in Formula yeah. One, so to speak. Like, I can't say that what happened in Austria, I haven't seen similar-ish incidents that have gone yeah. down previously. I yeah. think, obviously, you know, Canada is the prime example, but Canada was both the same and different at right. the same time. We had that whole argument last week, but uh, – right. I, I don't think it exposed it. I think it just kind of brought it to the forefront once again in whatever we're talking about in Formula One, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the topic of the day in yeah. F1 is. I think it's been a routine thing through the season where yeah. it's been, you know, kind of kicked around. And, you know, I I would think that it's something that has, you know, has finally been pinpointed. Maybe we need to look at this set and reevaluate this offseason. Yeah. And I think that's what the drivers are saying. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people are saying, you know, to kind of said. Well, you know, them's the rules, mm-hmm. you know, and you can't blame us for the rules. Now, if if you don't like the rules, then we should change them. Well, that's convenient, but you're the one that called for the review, right? And <laughs> yeah. and you were happy with the decision. Ferrari, uh, then a, a week later, not happy with the decision, right? Um, so, yeah, I think the drivers are saying, yeah, let's take, re- let's take a new, fresh look at the regulations and let us have more driver input on those. All right, so we're going to move on to a different – we've been talking for forever about this because this is really just the, the the one huge question mark of Formula One. And I think uh, we talked about Tim talking about Charlie Lee Whiting's death earlier at your uh, event. Yeah. I think this is kind of one of those uh, – Charlie Whiting passes and we see this kind of question mark. You can mm. see the exposure of the rules coming out now because I don't think Charlie would have would have – had most of this crap. I don't think I think he would have quashed it a little bit, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I think Charlie had one of the nicest guys in the paddock for sure. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know me from Adam and made me feel like I was he could have sat there for three hours if mm-hmm. that's what I wanted, you know, just one of those guys as uh, the captain, uh Pinsky. Same way. 
Um, but Charlie had a way. He would always say that he's not the one making the decision. And technically, he's right. It is the race stewards. But I think what – I think he had a little control on what got reviewed and what didn't get reviewed. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's selling himself way short. I think he had a much bigger hand on what was reviewable and what wasn't reviewable and what they should – you know, it's one of those hand on the shoulder. You probably ought to look at that one, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Or – Yeah. That, that's probably more of a racing incident. That's more of a racing incident, yeah. I think. And, and, you know, and I think they probably, you know, inquired, you know, hey, what do you think of this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, with him gone, to your point, Luke, what are we seeing now? Charlie's gone, first race of the year. We had two big regulatory dramas, right? We had Canada um, and then uh, this Austrian Grand Prix. And, uh, you know, one might ask, would we have had this if Charlie isn't around? Right. Yeah. yeah and, it, yeah, it's all kind of fallout from that where yeah. you start to think, would this have been a problem? Because we haven't seen – at least in my memory, and I've and you kind of asked this earlier. I've been watching for about ten or eleven years. Yeah. To, to in my memory, I haven't seen anything quite like this. Yeah, where the where the violations are very very similar. Someone has control of the corner. Someone you know may not have control of the corner. Someone forces someone else off the track, and then you know it's it's they were very very similar, and they were judged on two different ways. The judgment went bo- both ways. Yeah, so. I've not, I've not seen something that close, and you got to wonder how much Charlie had that influence of saying, you know, keeping you know his hand firmly on the uh, steering wheel of the ship and saying yeah. it's, it's all going to be okay. Here's how we rule. Here's how we move forward. And is that a gap, or is that is this just a gap with the rule book that we need to evaluate, or do we need to find someone kind of like Charlie again? We're never going to find his like again, but yeah. you know, someone that can be put in control that has that racer mindset. That can right. judge accordingly. I yeah. think. I think perhaps there there was this gap in the rule book, but Charlie Whiting bridged this gap, and now with him gone, we can kind of see this scar in the rule book of maybe there's a lot that he kind of glossed over, or maybe not glossed over, yeah. but covered with his you know wisdom or his saying this and that. And yeah, I get your point, Luke. It's a great point because if you think about. The rules is bricks. Charlie was kind of the mortar in between the bricks, mm-hmm. right? He, he filled in the gaps. He made the transition from one brick to the other a little nice more palatable. Yeah, nice and smooth. And I think he did that. And if you look at the regulations, if you go back and – gosh, we've been podcasting now since 2007. So if you went back and listened to some of our early podcasts, one of the things that – and mea culpa, but one of the things I would always argue about Max Mosley at the time, then FIA president, was that – he kept the regulations and the rules so vague that they can interpret them any way that they wanted to based upon the context of when that uh, – when they were – when the infraction happened, right? And it was crazy back then in the late 90s, early 2000s because they'd call a penalty and you think, where is the precedent for that? And Max would come out with some bri- – he's a lawyer. So he'd come <laughs> out with this brilliant legalese that makes – and you're like – Oh, that's what that rule means, right? (laughs) So he would only pin a rule to some context if he was absolutely pressed to do so. Otherwise, he would leave it open, right? And there was some brilliance to that because you could nuance, you could massage those regulations to do what I would argue Mario Andretti said, which is they really should be there to call penalties on flagrantly unsafe actions. 
anything beyond that, they're not intended to be traffic cops, right? And Max knew that, and I think Charlie knew that. And I think now perhaps we're trying to be traffic cops, right? That's a good, that's a, that's a good way to put it. That's I like a that. great way to put it, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, one last little topic we have here, and then we'll move into the awards. Uh, Total Wolf, this should be a short little one. Total Wolf says F1 pundits are harming their own brands by calling mm-hmm. by calling races boring. Uh, we shouldn't be doing a Ratner and talking our own sport down when we have a next rate where the sport is more than alive but is spectacular with a full crowd with controversy on track, some fantastic racing. Uh, I had to Google this. Maybe it's because I'm just way too young, but I had no <laughs> idea who Ratner was. It's a British slang. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gerald Ratner uh, had, his, had a jewelry company, yeah. and he went out and said, oh, yeah, we make crap. It, why is why do you think it's $5? <laughs> and tanked his own company. Right. Um, I just have a little point here. Does Toto Wolf has a, have a point, or are the press is the press? They have to be able to point out what – is and is not true. I don't know if the press can worry about harming their own brand, right? Yeah, I am. Uh, I have a really long diatribe on this, and <laughs> I won't. I'm I gonna, won't I'm bore you. Buckle in. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I, I won't. I promise. I'm not going to go into all of it. Um. So, if you think of Formula One as an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. That goes beyond just the manufacturers, the teams, the drivers, the teams' personnel. It also has caterers. It has the entire press corps, Formula One press corps that travels with Formula One. Their livelihoods depend on F1. Mm-hmm. And the press and journalists, it's important that F1 is in rude health because they'll have a job, mm-hmm. right? So there's nothing wrong with that. Totally get that. You know, understand that. I'm not knocking it, and I'm certainly not implying that all Formula One journalists are on the take. But when Formula One changed to the hybrid engine, DRS, HD tires, uh, the sound of the engines, and it started waning in viewership, they went to paper, uh, t- pay-per-view TV uh, or pay TV in the UK. Uh, the viewership started going down. The frustration level of fans started coming up, and it's been boiling ever since 2014 and going forward. For I would say the last – out of the last seven seasons of this era, the press for six of those has been carrying water for Formula One. And they're all like, oh, this is great. You know, and this is – you know, we just need to do a better job of talking about how cool these engines are. We need to do a better job. Meanwhile, we're bankrupting three teams over the cost of these things <laughs> at 30 and $40 million a lump, right? And so out of all of this, everyone has is, is been in an echo chamber. It's, it's – you know, they're all groupthink at this point in some sense. Now all of a sudden, fan frustration has reached feverish pitch. In social media to the point where if the F1 press doesn't acknowledge that and start asking difficult and challenging questions, to your point, Luke, they're going to be seen to be compromising their entire integrity to this. Fans eventually know when they're reading propaganda or when they're reading real hard questions and and hard, insightful news, right? And I think that's where we are. To Toto's point, does he have a point? Um, I think Formula One, look, he's talking about one race. So one out of nine, and you're ready to say Formula One is in the best health it's been and we shouldn't be talking about our sport sport, because look at what a great product we're producing. 
well, yeah, Dietrich Mateschitz produced a great product, <laughs> but nobody else has, right? And and at this point, I think you're starting to see the fissures, the cracks in the ecosystem, and the brave journalists that are willing to say, you know what, this is crap, and I'm just going to call it crap, and. I'm going to have a meaningful, real, transparent dialogue with my readers because I'm reading what my readers are saying and they're frustrated, right? And that's a brave, bold move when your paycheck relies on it. It really is. Now, Tim, uh, we always like to say we come from this as a fan. We're not yeah, journalists. Me too. We're not journalists. Yeah, me We're too. not media. Tim and I often have conversations about like, you know, this was a good race. This is a fun race. Yes. But there's a lot of races where – if you stuck, we had a segment uh, a couple weeks ago where we stuck a, a brand new ESPN employee and just made him watch his first ever oh, awesome. motorsports event. What did he think? Uh, he said that it was it was Canada. <laughs> so <laughs> he's, come, not the he's best like race. Sebastian Vettel is the biggest hero I've ever seen. He goes, I was glued to the end of my seat <laughs> during the post race. Was he impressed that Sebastian was driving at 180 miles an hour and litigating his case at the same time? <laughs> He he was impressed by that. I think the part that uh, won him over as a lifetime Vettel fan yeah. was swapping one and two. <laughs> yes, um, that was yes. that was the big thing for him. Yeah, and that was great. Yeah, the the end of that race was really intense and yeah. fun. Uh, yeah. The lead up to it was, eh, yeah, you know, but, but but we were saying though that like you can't with with new fans, excitement, excitement, excitement sells sure. right. Yep. And you can say, um, I find soccer similar this way, or football for those of you sure. in the UK, uh, where I am excited by a goal, but I can I would have to watch a couple of years before I know, oh, that was a brilliant little touch pass there, yes. and this was this. Right. I think that excitement sells, and when you have a product um, like to keep bragging on France, but yeah. that's a just you know the poster child for the F one race that probably should have been a little better. I think that regardless. Of what you say about, well, you just don't appreciate this or you don't may not, might not appreciate the technical aspect yet. Man, if you got a new fan, they aren't going to appreciate it and you need to get more viewerships. France is not going to put butts in seats. No. So I think at a certain point, you know, you just can't spin it anymore. If you're a journalist and you're like, oh, well, you know, uh, Bahrain was a brilliant race, especially if you watch the technical details and this and that. How are you going to spin France? I think everybody – the they themselves know, the reporters know, the drivers know, the fans know that, like, if we try and spin this too hard as a huge positive, it, it's just going to fall flat. There's no yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. There, and there's two points on that. In France, the thing about France is France is a test track. Paul Ricard's a test track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's say the three of us own uh, a Formula One team. We, we did a Gene Haas. And the three of us own a Formula One team. Or let's say three of us buy a GT team, a GT team for Le Mans, mm-hmm. right? So let's say Luke, because he works at ESPN, he's the richer of the two of us, Tim. And he has 80% and you and I uh, split uh, 20 apiece. And so Luke's putting serious money in there and we've developed a car and we're going to go testing. Do you want to go test at Austria or do you want to test where if the driver runs off, he's got a runway uh, to run off so he doesn't beat up Luke's car and damage the front nose and, you know, you know. so it's a test track. That's what it's for, right? But if you look at Toto's comment, he says, hey, look, this, it's spectacular with a full crowd. Who was the full crowd, Max Verstappen fans? 30,000. Yes. Strong. So the majority bulk of the biomass was Max Verstappen fans, right? So he's he's right there. You got a full crowd. You didn't have a full crowd of rabid Formula One fans. 
you had almost the entire nation of of of, of Holland there, right? Of Dutch fans, right? Did you see the stadium back home full of 10,000 people? We in talked it? about that last yeah. week and the yeah. parallel between yeah. that and the Blues and here. And the Blues here. Yeah, right, with right. Bush and uh, the Enterprise Center. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what a fans are. Yeah. And what Formula One is missing is I haven't seen a driver put butts in seats like Mac Verstappen since Schumacher. Mm-hmm. They and, and I'll tell you what Bernie would do. Bernie would do whatever had to be done to get Max at the top of that podium. Because that sells seats, it puts butts in seats, and it makes people watch. He's dynamic, he's exciting, he's brash, and people love it. And that's the champion. And and so what what Toto's talking about is, oh, we have a little controversy and excitement. That's one race, dude, one race. Luke, you bring up a great point. And the point is, how do we take the, the gentleman who works here who has never watched it, and how do we get him to become a fan of Formula One, right? Mm-hmm. It's a complex sport. There's a lot of money. There's a tremendous amount of nuance. And unfortunately, right now, there's a whole, you know, bucket load of constructs like HD tires and DRS you have to explain and hybrid engines and all that kind of stuff. The point of it is, as I've said all along, you don't bring Formula One to America. We have to take America to Formula One. And unfortunately, we we have to teach our way to success. And the press that teaches its way to success will be the press that gets readers, right? When if, if, if I could spend half an hour with that gentleman, when I'm done talking to him and we go through what Formula One really, really is, it'll make sense. It'll click. How do you, how do you pass off Paul Ricard as an exciting race? You don't. But you've passed off and you've taught someone what makes Formula One awesome. Mm-hmm. So even those pedestrian races, which there are many, and through the history of Formula One, there's been pedestrian races. That's okay. I'm fine with that. I will. Paul and I say all the time, I'll take a, a bad, boring Formula One race is far better than a lot of other races and much better than no F1, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where you've got to get these people, and that's what Toto should be focused on. And, you know, I mean, I personally think that I've seen, I've heard a lot more of my personal network talking more about Formula One because they watched it on Netflix. Right. And that's a great avenue great. to start watching these things. Point. Especially when ESPN has the exclusive rights to distribute. And I know NBC just recently put in a bid saying that they shouldn't, but neither here nor there. But it's such a great opportunity right now for yeah. F1 to grow yep. um, with things like the Netflix special where it you can get into the nuance, you can get into the drama of the midfield. Right. Like the midfield is almost more interesting this year than you know the the front of the, the sharp end of the field to a lot of viewers because they watch Netflix and That's they right. watch Gunter Steiner be Gunter Steiner. They're looking for the F bomb. They're looking for the F bomb <laughs> yeah, and right. the, he's not disappointed this year no, so he far. He's not. So you know, and know, he has good reason not to disappoint. Exactly. So I mean it I think you know, if we're going to, there are a lot of fishers. You're right that have to be kind of boiled out. But we're starting to see more American viewership start to kind of turn their eyes to F1. Yeah, what was ESPN's? Uh, I just read this. I think uh, the the press office from ESPN just sent me an email. Uh, maybe not the last race or before, but the total viewer counts mm-hmm. have been up on ESPN. Um, the total viewer. I want to say it was like 400K or uh, 600K. I don't remember what it was, but it was very large, and it's continued to grow. Mm-hmm. It's been up. I know I've seen – I saw this back around my birthday in April. Um, that's just how I remember it, that it was on the upswing. Yeah. And it was right around the time that we had started doing uh, – 
pilots for this show. Yeah. And so it was exciting because it's like, oh, we're, you know, we might, you know, really be onto something here because there are more listeners. There are more viewers. Yeah. Um, but yeah. they are up. Come back to me. <laughs> we'll, come, we'll come back to you it's after. Good. It's yeah. gobs. I know <laughs> okay. that. It's a lot. It's, it's and a it's, lot. And it's more than what NBC was pulling in and Speed was pulling in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, part of that is being on ESPN, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's been a bonus. But I th- I think, Luke, I think you're spot on. I think how do you compel a non-F1 fan to give a, a damn about F1, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think what Toto is saying is in a roundabout way, instead of everyone going around moaning about this sport, can we go around and try to sell it? I, now, the rest of my diatribe, I'll spare you. But the rest of my diatribe would be about, well, Toto, you need to field a good product, and right now you're not. Mm-hmm. And it has to be the whole field. Yep. It can't just be the sharp end where they make all the decisions. Yeah. Yep. yep. All right, we'll come back. We're going to talk about some awards. We have mid-season awards. Oh, boy. It's a little early for mid-season <laughs> awards, but we have a voting, uh, a voting party of three here, so we decided to kick it up a couple of weeks. We'll be right back here on the Formation Lab. The Formation Lab. All right. Welcome back. It is time for some mid-season awards. Tim, it's a little too early for mid-season awards, some might say. Some also might say that we have other plans for the break, and it's kind of an off off week here. No IndyCar, uh, no Formula One, so and we have a voting majority, so we don't have to argue anymore. <laughs> Although maybe we'll argue to Todd in order for him to come yeah. <laughs> try to influence vote, vote on our side. No, I think you know, it's going to be a problem if you both agree and I'm the odd man out. <laughs> well, or we we disagree and then you're the FIA. Yeah. Can, yeah so. By the way, the FIA has an award named after them this week. This is a new award, the FIA Award for Controversy. Because <laughs> I tried to decide, like, what can I name these awards after? And nothing says controversial to me like the FIA as a whole. Yeah. In 2019. Yeah. In 2019, yeah. yes. Exactly. But uh, this is your first foray into the People's Champion Award. This is not the People's Champion. This is <clears throat> the Champion of Champions. <laughs> you had the little hook on the end too. <laughs> we got to do a dramatic reading for the most dramatic award we have. So, yeah. <laughs> so Todd, uh, this is the most fun award. It's not like who had the best week. It's yep. not what was the best thing. Is what we had the most fun uh, okay. covering. Just generally. A good positive spin, a good positive story. And normally for the weekly People's Champion, it's whoever does the best job for as many people as possible. So, you know, who on, who put on the best show, who yeah. did the best thing for the most people or something like that. Or like in Nikki Lauda's case, who, you know, went to bat for all the, you know, the victims of that plane crash when he, you know, yep. went nice. to bat with Boeing. So stuff like that. P- yeah. Champion of the people. Yep. So the champion of champions, obviously. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I should also say that this is given out. We've given it out to inanimate objects before. All nice. of these we've given out to inanimate objects. I think last week the people's champion was the Red Bull ring. Uh, nice. Itself. I would have given it uh, in France to the baller. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah. All right. But What's we, left of it? Yeah. <laughs> we have four nominees. Tim, you want to take away the first one? 
Absolutely. The 2019 Austrian Grand Prix gave us a dose of the racing we all fell in love with, but not without a bit of controversy. According to me, the most entertaining F1 race of the hybrid era. That was a big claim you made last week, and I wanted to put that in there. That's a really big claim. It, is, it was Tim. a big claim. I had the most fun watching it because it was clean, everybody finished, and it was elbows out, and it came from a place that I didn't expect. Hmm. With as dominant as this season's been from Mercedes and with Ferrari trying to get their act together, and then you see, you know, at Leclerc coming out and Vettel doing okay and Ferrari yeah. looking all right, and then for Honda to come back yeah. with Honda as, you know, battered as they've been, you know, it's sure. that was really, really fun. So cool. uh, for me, that was the most fun one of uh, the hybrid era. Okay. All right, so uh, Todd, you want to take the uh, the second nine? Yeah, well, here? let me read the notes here. Uh, Honda, after a few years of being beat up and dragged down, Honda finally <laughs> won their first race after returning to the sport in 2015. A sign on their wall now reads, quote, countless moments of humiliation made us stronger, end quote. <laughs> Can Todd come back every week and do our, do our dramatic readings? <laughs> Uh, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to follow that one up. I, I'm just going to. I'm glad it's you, not me. <laughs> well, you have the fourth one, so. I know, right? <laughs> uh, nominee number three, McLaren. Watching one of the biggest names in motorsports get their mojo back has been an absolute thrill so far, aided by two lovable and great drivers in Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz. There you go. All right, Love Tim. It. Tim. <laughs> Oh, man. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm like trying to prime it. Watching all the wonderful Nikki Lauda tributes. Sometimes it's nice being reminded that we are all one big happy family and watching everyone to get together and honor one of the greats of the sport was incredible. <laughs> I thought you were going to lead to in a world where nothing is <laughs> as it seems. <laughs> Welcome to my epic movie trailer voice. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to do. It's perfect. Uh, so it's uh, one little little note is uh, Nikki Lauda himself has been retired. So this is the tributes Mm -hmm. Uh, and the general feeling of community because I think that we kind of sometimes lose sight of uh, with all the infighting we have Mm. uh, that, uh, hey, you know, we're all Formula One fans. And as it stands, that's a pretty niche, you know, section of the population. Especially if you're a Yankee. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I'm going to give Todd the first right (gasps) of elimination. You get to eliminate one of our four. That's a tough one. That's a tough one, Luke. You threw me right under the bus on this one. Under um, the bus, into the wolves, whatever. Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as the as two, three, and four cover the entirety of the sport, mm-hmm. and number one covers a single event, I'll eliminate the Austrian Grand Prix. I'm, I'm nicely done. I'm 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 reasoning. on board with that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's great reason. Tim, you want to eliminate one? Um, two of them to me are bigger stories than the third. Um, I'm going to eliminate one of my favorite teams, McLaren. All right. McLaren's out. Mm. And that's a bit too long to come back. And yeah, they are lovable, but, uh, they're not the champion of champions. Yeah. I I would say, I I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think maybe next year, uh, or later this year, who knows, uh, if they can grab a podium, that's that's a real people's champion I will, moment I will jump right up there. and down when Lando yeah, yeah. grabs a podium. But yeah, uh, it's a great story. As it stands, Honda versus Nikki Lauda tributes. I really hate to shortchange any of these. Tim, you want to argue your side? 
Who are you picking? I am going to go with the Nicky Lauda tributes. Okay. Uh, seeing that a uh, he has a permanent red star on the Mercedes car and seeing all the little things that they've done throughout the season to honor uh, one of the all-time greats across any motorsport uh, discipline, across any sport. Um, you know, he was widely uh, praised across many different uh, disciplines mm-hmm. of sports. So I would say the tributes to him um, are not only warranted, uh, but it, they are great to see, you know, red hats, you know, in the stands for the Austrian Grand Prix, um, you know, uh, the helmets, which I talked with, we, we talked the week of, of the Monaco Grand Prix, after the Monaco Grand Prix, mm. uh, it was Lewis's helmet tribute that looked suspiciously like a Schumacher helmet. Yeah, it did. <laughs> with the, with yeah. the monster stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, stuff like that, Seb having a, having a Nicky helmet, yeah. um, you know, the tributes, I think, uh, have been tasteful, have been classy, and have come from a genuine place of respect and honor for from everyone who's paid them. So uh, I would say that is the champion of champions. All right. Well, we uh, we advertised to, to Todd off mic that we might have to you know lobby arguments here, but I think there's not going to be an argument here. As much as Honda was great to watch and uh, an incredible story mm. spanning multiple years in a company that really uh, had been you know kicked while they're down so to speak and for some and for a story that's really great for the sport to mm-hmm. have another uh engine manufacturer come back and be yeah. you know in that on that front edge i think i'm gonna have to give it to the nikki lauda tributes i our first ever episode we interviewed simon pagino and it was great guy and it was the day after yeah. nikki passed and we had him talk about uh nikki at, at, at you know for a while and uh he just He's, his quote was, I wanted to be born a Senna, a Senna but I was born a Nikki, and I ah, respect it even more. That's great. And, uh, I, I'm going to go with Nikki Lauda. I think uh, a lot of times we get caught up in infighting and, oh, Verstappen fans and Ferrari fans and the Tifosi or this and that. And it's like, no, no, no. We're all – we're one big community, and it was nice to see everybody come together and uh, mm. honor one of the greats. Todd, any objections to that? Uh yeah, I'm going to go back to McLaren. No, I, I, I don't. Um, no, I, I absolutely agree with both of you. I think the Honda story is a great story. It's a beautiful rainbow you have out the window there. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of Nikki, how prophetic, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think uh, the Honda story is a great story, and I don't think any one of us would marginalize that. I think what they've achieved and come back. But there is an element of um, – I think the bigger story for me is that they're doing it – According to my predictions, like three years ago, four years ago, I said that Honda would end up leaving McLaren and joining Red Bull and Red Bull would make it work. And that's coming true. And I think that's a great story. But you can't overlook the impact that Nikki Nikki had on this entire sport Mm -hmm. and the lives that he touched. And although we're not voting for Nikki in per se, what we are voting is the impact he had on the people around the world, period, you know. In the sport, out of the sport, I was seeing some advertisement the other day for um, uh, website layouts and stuff like that, and they used pictures of Nicky Lauda in it. I mean, these people only know, you know, he to them he's the elderly F one fan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I absolutely would agree with you guys. The yeah. guy was epic. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, it's incredible. We're all. all- 
here, but yeah. I think that's really a testament to... Uh, We'd like w- to apologize to Todd for not having a huge debate this week. Yeah, oh, yeah. well, that's okay. <laughs> well, we still got the Lawrence S. Stroll Award for producing disappointments. <laughs> <laughs> True. But, uh, yeah, so Nikki Lauda, congratulations, or Nikki Lauda tributes, congratulations. Yeah, play golf applause. Uh, once again, Nikki Lauda himself is on our wall of fame because if we ever nominated him for an award, he would probably win a positive award, so we can't nominate him. We have him, Ayrton Senna, and uh, after Daryl Waltrip retired from uh, calling NASCAR for years, we put him up there. Uh, we're missing a Charlie Whiting photo, but he's up there as well. So, ah, Where's uh, Prost? Oh, that's a good one. We haven't had Prost. He's still uh, he's still not up there. We yeah, haven't he, been able to nominate him for anything yet. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, so uh, he, he'll, he'll get up there eventually yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, this next one, though, if you take a look slightly to the left of the Wall of Fame, we have the Wall of Shame. Sitting lonely up there is Williams F1. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 but this week, fun. they will be joined. Yeah, they're, they're going to be joined. Okay. And, um, so whoever whoever we pick out of this, they are going up there on the Wall of oh, Shame. We don't uh, want to talk about them anymore. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about them, but it feels like we're beating them up to nominate for uh, Wreck of the Weeks. So, the Lawrence Estrell Award for Producing Disappointments. The, this midseason award comes with the fabulous honor of being put on the wall of shame. First nominee, Haas F1 team. Haas was supposed to be the best of the rest. Haas is now finishing alongside Williams. Every week has been continually worse for the American outfit, and they can't seem to figure out what's wrong. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm stripping away the BA announcer voice. I am a Haas fan. I want Haas to do well. I said as a kid, like, yo, I really, really want an American F1 team. We get an American F1 team, and this is supposed to be their year. And my word. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, what can you say? The F word, I guess. <laughs> Full Gunter. Yeah. Um <laughs> do you want me to take on the next one? Yeah, sure. Uh, I kind of oh. want to do like a wah, wah, wah yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Uh, <laughs> Pierre Gasly. Nobody on the grid has cost their team more than Pierre Gasly. Pierre has made a habit of costing his team a lot of points every weekend, leading Red Bull uh, to be behind Ferrari by 59 points. Yikes. Bummer. <laughs> I'm thinking there's a there's a gif of a YouTuber, and he goes to the store, he buys markers, he buys a sign, he buys pins, and it's him creating something. He just sits down, and there's a big sign, and it says, yikes on it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, I'm, I'm picturing that when I'm reading Pierre Gasly. Gasly is a good nominee just because uh, there's no bigger delta between, you know, driver one and yeah. driver two. But that's that's not – somebody has to take that. But for it to be in the second or third best car on the grid, yeah, yeah. it's just magnifies the problem. Yeah. And it was perfectly encapsulated for me in Austria being lapped by the car that won when it's well, – for all intents and purposes, the same car. Yeah. That's pretty brutal. It's, yeah, that's, that's tough. I mean, what does that do to the mind of a young driver? Yeah. In in fairness to him, he had a different strategy. Yeah. It didn't play out at all. But, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, Todd, you want to take uh, the third? Yes. We intentionally put make you take the third. Thanks. Because I'm wearing my Ferrari badge. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Uh, let's see. Ferrari seem to have made a habit of making at least one costly blunder per race, and it feels like they haven't raced to their full potential yet. 
Uh, all right. Well, I came into this season so excited for Ferrari. <laughs> so excited. Well, you didn't have a choice. The entire press was force feeding us that they're the they're the fastest team, they're the best team, and for eight races, Mercedes was force feeding us that narrative too. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Total Wolf and his professional sandbagging. Yeah. Um, no, but for me coming in, I really liked the way Charles Leclerc drove last year. I was excited mm-hmm. to see if he would make it. Yeah. And I thought the car looked awesome this year. I liked the matte finish yeah but it's been a bummer you're saying you're saying you really like the huge gigantic mission winnow logo on it yeah i mean it's been on there in one form or another for the last <laughs> yeah. have we ever determined many years. I, I know it's a tobacco i know it's a tobacco company advertisement but have we ever determined what mission winnow is besides just like it's a hidden it's there logo it's for- philip morris's commitment to vaping was vaping? It? vaping is that it um n- not in general it is Philip Morris's redefining what that company does. Rebranding. Okay. Yeah. And it. and they're looking for they're investing in all new technologies. They're uh, beginning different development R and D departments, and they're trying to find something other than tobacco. Oh, uh, really? To do. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize it was something other than tobacco. I figured yeah. they were just shifting their tobacco focus towards vaping, which I'm told by my brother in high school is all the rage with the kids nowadays. Kids don't smoke. Like, don't do it. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, they vape. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> you vape? Oh, there yeah, you go. There you go. <laughs> so, is, that, is that Philip Morris? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Mission Winnow. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Get a big logo on there. Uh, <laughs> True Ferrari fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim, you want to eliminate with somebody? Um, oh, I'm... I I I know who I want to eliminate. Do you do you tell know, you what? I will let you go first. You're, you're gonna see this. You know, as much as I would like to see Todd get riled up and, <laughs> and put Ferrari on the wall of shame. Which, by the way, we have a Ferrari logo printed out. We've been waiting for a couple weeks for them to like make another blunder and be like, "Oh my gosh, this is sad." Yeah. Uh, I don't think Ferrari has been quite the failure of Haas or Pierre Gasly. No. They're still finishing second. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, like they're yeah. they're still a top three. If they were sure. if they were not best of the rest, now we're putting them up on the wall. But yeah. Ferrari, they're, they're not there the, or thereabouts. Right, they're yeah. not the clinical failure no. that Haas and Pierre Gasly have been. So Ferrari, the startling can be, failure of yeah. going from fifth and qualifying <laughs> to. Splitting the Williams. Yeah. 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 It's the difference between total depravity and utter depravity, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, a great way to put it. Haas F1, or for, sorry, Ferrari is out. So Pierre Gasly versus Haas F1. Todd, yes. do you want to make your case for your choice here? Yeah, I'm going to make my case. I'm going to remove Pierre Gasly. You're removing Pierre Gasly. Yes, okay. I am. All right. What's your choice, Tim? I would also say that Pierre Gasly being a new driver in a car and having to make that mental jump from the minor leagues of Toro Rosso into the front end uh, in the Red Bull would also need Max. to be. Exactly. And having, yeah, yeah the, the you need a special mental fortitude to go yes. up against a driver of his ilk. And mm-hmm. um, to go from Toro Rosso where he was the better driver, <laughs> sure. uh, you know, and then to be so summarily beaten <laughs> yeah. all the time yeah. at every turn. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a steep mountain to climb. So that was was like Van Dorn with Alonzo. Exactly. It's a tough situation. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to be someone special like Lewis Hamilton to beat Alonzo or someone of that 
that yeah caliber. Well, we saw last year, especially it was highlighted during the Drive to Survive series, that like even Daniel Ricardo, it affected him. Yeah. It offended or Ricciardo or Ricciardo. Ricciardo. <laughs> it affected Daniel Ricardo. Daniel Ricardo is a darn good driver, and yes. he, even it got to him. I think that it was a tough draw. It's a tough draw for Gasly. Not to say he doesn't deserve to, you know, have that seat handed somewhere else, or not to say that you know it's it's been not a disappointment for him. But yeah, it, it's it, and it's interesting also. And I made this point is that last year Max rattled Dan mm-hmm. very much so, and there's like, oh, okay, well Dan's going to go to Renault. Now go back a little bit farther, and everybody is like, ha, ha, Dan Ricardo beat Vettel. Ha, ha. <laughs> And everybody's just, you know, just eviscerated Vettel. You know, like, oh, Ricardo. But then Max does the same thing with Dan. It was like crickets. It's like, where's where's the laughing? That's, you know? true. That's true. And, you know, they did have kind of a, you know, Ricardo's season started better, arguably, than Verstappen's last year. Yes. He had those three victories yep. through the first nine. And, you know, you had, you know, crashy crashy max and you know waiting for him to finally mature i think i definitely think in the second half of the season after that decision was made there was just every different kind of beating yeah he got marcoed yeah he did and And then he turned it on and then he it was amazing and and yeah dan he got into danny rick's head for sure yeah and you know the i mean the baku crash you know probably didn't help matters and Mm -hmm. um well he had all the dnfs and the mechanicals and i mean he had Max's uh, 2017, yeah, for yeah. sure. Where Max had every DNF for every different type of yeah. failure ever. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it definitely got to Danny Rick in yeah. the second half of that season, and uh, it it was the best thing for him to move on for yeah. sure. Yeah, um, both you know mentally and monetarily. Yeah. So as the winner of the Lawrence S. Stroll Award, I'm getting up now. My, my oh, lanyard, <laughs> my Haas F1 team lanyard is crying tears in my pocket. I'm sure right now. <laughs> I'll narrate this. Luke <laughs> expertly grabs the Haas logo. He's walking slowly, reluctantly as a Haas fan. He has the push pin. He pushes the push pin in. I may see a trickle of blood coming off of that logo. But Lance is beside himself. The tears, it's difficult. And there's just nothing but tears of utter disappointment coming yes. from his eyes. Oh. Now, Luke on. equally upset. <laughs> and I think I almost heard Luke. Utter the F word under his breath. <laughs> oh, he yeah. He steinered the situation, didn't he? <laughs> steinered it. He totally steinered it. Uh, Poor Luke. He channeled his inner Gunter. Yeah. And made it happen. It's a tough call for you, Luke, because you, yeah. as an American, you were pining for an American team mm-hmm. in Formula One. You thought, this is something we can get behind. And you've got to be sitting here, like Gunther Steiner, scratching your head saying, what is it about these damn tires that you guys. You know, Literally, just this last race, nine races in, and you've got Gunther saying, uh, you know, I, we don't know what's going on with the tires. He said that the third or fourth race, didn't he, too? Yeah. So he, he's been saying it all season. He's been season. saying it all season, and yeah. you're thinking, who in that team can get on? Because you know it's the same for the other teams, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ferrari isn't getting on top of the tires. No one else is, but at least they're getting there, mm-hmm. right? What is going on at Haas that they're leaving so much on the table? And for such a binary result, like yeah. having qualifying go so well. Right. That, and then just drop off the face of the earth. The that's, that's what makes it weird to me is because yeah. If, yeah. if I was expecting the tire problems, why am I? Fin- why are you guys finishing fifth in qualifying, qualifying right. at, at Austria? When, I, when that happened, 
And then for them to go to splitting the Williams, that was one of like the craziest changes I've seen in an outlook on a yeah. race in 24 hours, right? Like that was how do you go from one of the highest highs you've had as a young team yeah. to one of the lowest lows you've had as a young team? Now, let me throw this at you guys. How much are we seeing now as a lack of resources to develop this car nine races in? We talked a little bit about this last week Did where, you? Um, you know, is it the lack of resources with money? Is it that they are a different type of team where yeah. they don't? Because I know, like, last year when they had that uh, the complaint about their uh, floor yes, and they had to get it replaced, it took them a lot longer to get right. it because they don't do those things uh, in-house and they don't have that in that development. And so it's is not it, like Dolores sitting back at home constantly coming up with new aero improvements mm-hmm. for Haas. They exactly. wouldn't do that unless Haas ordered it. Yeah, correct. And so is it is it that? Is it a lag between, yeah. you know, what they need and, you know, what they can get in the timely manner? Or right. is is there a funding issue? What? Right. Where is the gap? And, you know, what? what is the nature of the issue? Yeah, I'd um, say Gene's got a butt full of how difficult F1 is, and I'm curious how much money he's still funneling in to the point where he always said he was doing this to uh, to bring out the Haas CNC brand right, mm-hmm. to Europe. Made all the sense. First season, you know, Haas logo all over it. This season, Rich Energy, which nobody has a clue who it is, and still and still don't know who have uh, what it is and now where's the Haas logo yeah right yeah i we have a funny story about rich energy yeah, he needed the money yeah, obviously he did i i have and a, did they did they pay up front they might have paid up front so i got to think they had to yeah. have right for the for at least for the livery to have stayed on for this yeah. long they had to have put the money cuz Haas they come that i mean he's been an indie car enough and in american yeah, motorsport he's no stranger exactly you're gonna take that off if they're not paying you anymore yeah. mm-hmm. so we i i went to the indy 500 this year we said uh, we mentioned that earlier but i know i thought rich energy was going to be at at the indy 500 so yeah. i'm i'm like looking all over for this place all right I'm, I'm going oh my gosh i found the website where it details where it's sold in north america it goes by state, but there's only nine locations in three states. But they still have all 50 states li- listed on the website. Nice. nice. So it's, one of them happens to be in uh, Virginia, in, in mm-hmm. a town where my friend lives. Um, so I text him, like, you need to go and get some cans, and we'll pay you back. Just yeah. ship them. I want myself a Rich Energy can yeah. for the mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes, I went to – one of them, the locations listed, was the City Hall He's like, he's like, that wasn't. He goes, so I didn't even look there. He goes, the other one was a like Seven Eleven gas station. They had no idea what I was talking about. So I go to the Indy Five Hundred, and I'm like, oh man, they they supposedly will have a tent at the Indy Five Hundred. They didn't have a tent at the Indy Five Hundred. They had it at like Carb Day the day before, and nobody was there to like monitor the tent. It was literally just a tent and like gas, like a table in gasoline alley where you could walk up and grab it. Yeah. So I didn't get that. So I go, you know what, though? There are two or three locations around the Indianapolis area that are 20 minutes out. Yeah. And I'm driving home today. I mean, I'm not in any huge time crunch to get home. Yeah. I call both these locations. What? Rich? In- what is that? I'd never heard of it. <laughs> it's literally on their website. So we're over four on companies that have listed on their website as having Rich Energy that have heard of it. Well, you know, when they when they brought Rich Energy on as a sponsor, I mean, the press immediately mm-hmm. eviscerated him and said, yeah, who's Rich Energy, right? And they were pretty harsh with, with Haas on it. And Haas even 
to the point Haas had to make a public statement in the press about, no, 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 we did this deal. We saw their financials. They're, you know, a, a uh, uh, up-and-coming energy company, and everything's great. Everything's fine with the investment. They had to come out and, and you know, run an apology basically for it. Yeah. And I thought that was astounding in and of itself because the press called their, they the press had their number from day one. Mm-hmm. They did their job in that situation. They yeah. totally did their job no, in that situation, and yeah. they knew it before anyone else did. And it's like that uh, what that that fire music festival. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. like that, and yeah. it's like, is there anything here? <laughs> what are you? Who are you guys? And because yeah. no one can find it. And, and then you look up the, the the head guy, and he looks like like an extra from a Grizzly Adams show. <laughs> You know, and you're thinking, who is that dude? Yeah, you know, it none of it adds up, Uh, and you know, and now they had to rip the stag logo off because they got the loss for that, right? You know, I mean, which was one of the greatest. How many f bombs do you think Steiner's offering up just over his rich energy deal? Well, do you think, and this is going to be, we're going to kind of go off on a little tangent here. Do you think they might be for sale? I think. I think Gene Haas, I'd be stunned if he wouldn't uh, be having quiet conversations about selling that team. I think I I told Gene via my podcast, and he should have been listening because I could have saved him a fortune. He should have bought uh, Marusha is oh, what he should have done. Good call. He would have had the entire team, the infrastructure, everything. That's what he should have done. But no, they were going to do it themselves. They're going to do this, do this from the ground up. And all that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's costing a fortune. I think that's why they brought Rich Energy in to offset some of the costs. Yeah. And it's not panning out. And especially the reason it's still on this list is because they were – now, where the press was wrong, do you remember what the press was saying about Haas coming out of uh, winter testing in the first season? The press had Haas F1 as the legitimate best of the rest team. That's where they were all saying, and Paul and I were like, "Okay, that's crap. That's mm-hmm. not true." Mm-hmm. And the pre- oh no no, they've got the pace. You know, they, they the press couldn't have been more wrong on, on that aspect on, on the post uh, testing winter season. I haven't seen them so wrong in many many years. So yeah, I think Gene. It would not stun me if he found a buyer. I'd be a little surprised if he wasn't trying actively. To. Yeah, I'm um, curious about that too. Yeah. You guys are hurting my soul over here. <laughs> yeah, could be another American. You know what? You know hey. what? And with the rumblings about the new, um, like the Miami circuit, yeah. um, I know that Joe Sayward, uh, intrepid F1 journalist, was talking about uh, a New York or a New Jersey street circuit. <laughs> there are a lot of street circuits apparently being proposed. Enough. Which I know. <laughs> I'm so tired of the street circuit. That, you know, I know it's cheap for him to do, but. Enough. And it's the population centers, and they want that American audience really Yeah, bad. It's, it's Sean Brad just needs to get off that. And yeah. the reason is because that's going to backfire. Because just because you put it in a in a place with biomass doesn't mean the biomass gives a damn about it. Mm-hmm. True. And it doesn't mean that they're going to show up. They're going to show up because they don't have a choice. they got to walk around the darn thing to get to work, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, and the, and the amount it will cost, it could backfire and be a bad thing. That's right. And, and putting a race in Miami streets or New York streets or whatever – does not produce the Austrias type of results and excitement. No. You know what a great way to anger a bunch of New Yorkers is? Is put something in their way yes. from point A to point B. And yeah. that's exactly what yeah, it is. exactly. I'll be actually on vacation, not the next episode, but the episode after that. So we'll do – we'll have to record that. I'll be 
no kidding, in New York, staying in Weehawken, New Jersey. <laughs> nice. Just to, yeah, that's where it was all so, going to go down. So uh, I've already said because we're driving there because you know it's stereotypical Midwesterns will drive anywhere. Sure. Um, I've already I've already said I'm going to take uh, take the old minivan or for a spin around the Wee the Port Imperial Street Circuit. Oh, you should put a dash cam on and take it, <laughs> and then we could speed it up, and then we could you know narrate it and yeah. be dramatic. Would you, um, would, you, would you believe that's the second racetrack I've taken? I would have taken this thing around. Awesome. <laughs> There's a, there was, um, I have family in the middle of nowhere town in Iowa, and they have a figure eight dirt track. Yeah. And I just pulled up because my brother had never seen it, and I'm like, I used to grow up at these races. So I'm, I'm like, well, hey, the gate's open. Well, hey, there's nobody. I want to take it for a lap here. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> a little minivan on a figure you should, eight track. You should take a dash cam of that, and then Tim and I could do the sports commentary. Oh, yeah, I would say it. Oh, Luke, he got a little crossed up. You know, he, oh, he's, he's put three he's, rounds of wedge in that he's minivan. He's not quite gotten the apex there. <laughs> but... Oh, no, he missed the apex, but he's recovered a little twitch. He's got some opposite lock in that minivan. It'd <laughs> be perfect. Um, oh. But because of the proposals for a lot of, or well, at least a lot, two new American Grand Prix, it might be an American buyer. Or a conglomerate for could buyers, be. yeah. With uh, you know, yeah, could might be. looking to diversify their portfolio. I could, I could see that, especially with the uptick as we talked about in American interest uh, yeah. over the. You know, maybe you want to really brand that as an American team, even more so than Haas already is. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's. I, I think there's still a throng of people that are disappointed that he doesn't have an American driver. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> Alexander Rossi. Uh, well, you're not pulling the Rossi away from IndyCar at this point. The, the dude's there's too much money. <laughs> the dude. Yeah. The dude um, is dominating IndyCar. Yeah. But um, while we're kind of on this topic, I know that uh, in that Q and A session at your uh, event earlier this year, yeah. I asked and um, about the sale of Williams. Yeah. And. Um, Claire Williams did come out and say, talking about, I can't remember what, who the buyer was that they were talking uh, to, um, Latifi, maybe. Yes, it was Latifi's father. Latifi's father. And yep. said, and she said, there had been a conversation, but there is none now. I, yeah, I, I read that article, too, and it didn't give me the impression that he was buying the team so much as investing in the team. Yeah. Very much like trying to replace Lawrence Stroll. Mm-hmm. Right. And my impression of that had been, though, that there had been that conversation that they had talked about restructuring and buying the and team buying from it. Williams. Do you think that that would be a thing? Well, that wouldn't surprise me. That Did you guys watch the Williams documentary I have on, Netflix. on Netflix? Mm-hmm. I, were you as shook as I was watching that? That was – It was jarring. It was a jarring documentary yeah. that was nothing like what I thought it was going to be like. That that was a peek behind the Williams. I felt sorry for Claire. I felt sorry for Frank and what he's gone through. The 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 personalities and coldness in that family. Yeah, is, it's a, it was it was it was a real peek into borderline Shakespearean that family yeah, was. It was. It was it, it's yeah. tragic. It was. It and was it, almost like a tragic sort of, you know, and, and they've got Claire at the helm. And I've been saying for three years now, you gotta, you got to move Claire out. It's mm-hmm. not getting it done. You know, you, yeah. you don't fire the team. You fire the coach, and the coach isn't working. And you got to move Claire out, right? So bringing Patty Lowe in, I thought, well, maybe that's good. Then Patty walks, right? And yeah. now the only person I think Sir Frank trusts is Patrick Head. And Who's now they've got Patrick a back. Day a week, yeah. yeah. Consulting, and I kind of wonder if Patrick Head isn't trying to help Sir Frank either, 
restructure it and and move Claire out to a different role and or to your point, Tim, maybe be the architect of selling it. Well, that sounds like a lot of controversy. Lucky for us, we have a controversy award. The FIA oh, award for controversy. Such a great, it's a great segue, uh, isn't it? Oh, it was almost like is, we're professional. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta give a hand to Luke. That was perfectly yeah, that done. Was well done. We have the FIA award for controversy because what's more controversial than the FIA? So <laughs> this is just the juiciest controversy. It, use whatever definition you want, but just the controversy of the season thus far. Canada. The incident that set the motorsports world on fire. Sebastian Vettel, the five-second time penalty. Lewis Hamilton, his how many ever it was victory. I think it was eight. <laughs> eighth in a row. And yeah. yeah. Eighth one, two. Yeah. yeah. yeah eighth one, two. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Toto. Yeah. All right, Tim. Get down. <laughs> <laughs> I love your soundboard on your show. Yeah. It's, my, I have a it's lot of one fun. of Oh, my God. That's so yeah. fun. Um <laughs> Uh, I can't. I I butcher the Austrian accent, so I won't try to do the yeah. Austria <laughs> reverse Canada. That's pretty good. Max Verstappen pulled by Leclerc on lap sixty nine, and it took three hours for the stewards to not award a penalty, despite protests by Ferrari. Nice. And Todd. All right, Pirelli. The tire manufacturers faced harsh criticism after making their tires incredibly hard to turn on. It seems that Mercedes is the only team not struggling with it, adding to the fury. <laughs> I love the fury was the last word. Fury. I love that. fury. Yeah. <laughs> fury. That's a great word. <laughs> it is a great word. <laughs> uh, um, Todd, do you want to have a? Okay, I'm going to take a poke at this. Uh, let's see, Canada. The incident. Okay. Austria, the reverse incident, okay. Um, well, since this is a controversy award, mm-hmm. if this was a big disappointment award, the biggest artificial construct award, it would absolutely be Pirelli. But since we're looking for controversy, <laughs> as my friends in the UK would say, um, uh, I'll have to remove Pirelli. Oh, okay. I like. I agree with yeah. that completely. All right, I wasn't expecting that. Honestly, I was expecting uh, Austria to be removed because yeah. it seemed to me like Austria was the smaller of the two. Tim, what what are you what are you going to argue for, Canada or Austria? For I am I am going to argue that Austria be eliminated and Canada be our our controversy of the year because it caused Austria to be a thing. Oh, Canada caused. More controversy great for Austria. Point, great That's point. true. If we don't have Canada, we 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 don't, don't have Austria. Right. Correct. So <laughs> one led to the other, and it set it set a precedent that they didn't follow up. Yeah, and immediately didn't Im- follow up instantly. Yeah, and both times Ferrari was on the losing end, which kind of bugs me. Yeah, um, you know it's yeah. you know, and I'm sure Todd as well as a yes. Ferrari fan. It's yes. got to be tough to see. It is. Um, but I think yeah, that and it was to me it felt like the stewards overstepping a bit yeah and kind of being like this is the rules dems dems the rules that's how it is mm-hmm. you know art come on yeah lewis did the same thing in 2016 at monaco to ricardo correct mm-hmm. and you know there, same there's thing. yeah and mm-hmm. now they've and then they just reversed what they reversed in canada and canada caused everything else so right that would be my fia award we're, That's a good shout. We're reversing more than Dino Ricardo and freaking Baku. Jesus. 
we had a we had a running joke. These are all these are all in pilot episodes, so nobody's ever heard no them. No one will we ever a, hear. We had them a running again. joke where Daniel Ricardo is the world's fastest fifteen year old getting his license. Because <laughs> who else can you think of that would put it in reverse and bash straight into somebody? Right. Ah, guys, we're going pretty fast if you here. Had, if you had looked in your mirrors at all, there would have been a big blue livery looking at your face. Yeah. And, but whatever. But uh, I think I'm gonna agree with Canada because. As much as I argued against, uh, as much as I argued last week for it to have been a penalty, and yeah. argued well, um, I think that at the end of the day, Austria to me, when everybody saw that, they're like, mm, "That's tough." But the only reason that should be a penalty is because they're precedent for it. Yeah. I think everybody knew that in their gut that wasn't a penalty. Canada was the reverse because Canada, the decision itself was more controversial. Yeah. I would say, yeah. I, I agree. And when Paul and I were talking about this uh, on the race review for our podcast, uh, you know, Paul was making a, a very solid case of why it should be a penalty. I didn't disagree with him at all. Out of principle and precedent, he's correct. And and I know Paul and I and I know that he was arguing it from the standpoint of rubbing F1 nose in the poo that it did. You know, and and by God, if you you need to be consistent, if you're going to call it, then by God, call it. Because as a driver, he wants consistency across these penalties. You know, uh, does he believe it should have been a penalty? Of course not. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's it's like if the FIA, if the stewards, if that was their hill to die on, then stay on the hill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stay that's right. to it. Stick with it. Yeah, Don't, that's right. And that yeah, it just. But the Vettel incident was so clearly. I mean, it was just. What was he supposed to do? Right. right? How and they could said, he have well, done that any differently? He was in control of his car. Really? You know, and what I enjoyed was all of the armchair philosophers <laughs> on social media uh, afterwards saying, well, you know, you could see right when he came off the grass, if he'd have put about 20% less opposite lock in there, it's like, dude. He's going 150 miles an hour. The other thing I love about them was they were also saying, and you can see he glances right, which clearly means he's looking in his mirrors. And yeah. like, the other thing that's on his right is a big is a wall. wall. And exactly. he's flying at it at 150 miles an hour. Like yeah. he's going to look at it to make sure, please God. Yeah. How you do know. you know he was looking at his mirrors? Exactly. <laughs> do you have the? Do you have his eye tracking yeah. from inside his helmet somehow? If, if it, you know, I'm with you, Tim. If it's me and I'm coming back, sliding back across the track, I'm looking at that damn wall. <laughs> exactly. And I go, I got to keep it out of that thing. I am going, I'm not going forwards. I'm going sideways. Yes. And I'm, you know, as a human being, I just want to be like, this is A, going to really hurt. B, going to be really expensive. And C, please God. You know, and that's, to me, you know, whenever they said that stuff, I was just like, you guys are Yeah, both cases were racing incidents. Yep. Mm -hmm. They added to the spice of the race. They made the the race fun to watch. It was the first time somebody was legitimately, you know, beating, I mean, Mercedes is beating this grid like a narc at a biker rally. And the problem <laughs> I have is, is the first time someone could take the battle to Mercedes and we penalize it, you know, they're yeah. both racing. It's for, race. for the lamest thing possible. Yes. It's yeah. like, hey, we're going to say that. Really? Yeah. The yeah. Unsa- unsafely reentering was meant when you go off, you collect the car, you start to come back on track, and you need to do it in a safe manner. You can't come back on the apex in front of Roman Grosjean because you're going to die. And, <laughs> you know, you can't do that, right? Yep. Right. But just, you know, missing a corner, running across, sliding across grass and back onto the track, that's a different deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh... Yeah. So that's the controversy of the season. That's the controversy of the season. Of the season. Yeah, that's my, that's my pick. You know, if, I don't know if 
It, it'll be have to be a doozy to top that one. Yeah, it will. The rest that, of the season. That might win the that might win the end of the season award. Yeah. Canada yeah. might. I gotta I say, say so. I was out of town. Like I, I was going to a function in Florida, and uh, I was watch, I had to watch that on a bus ride down. I watched the whole race no on way. a bus ride down. <laughs> yeah. I and, was brutal. And, and I was tearing my hair out at home. I'm like, yeah. What? I'm, I'm <laughs> sitting in a hotel on the beach in Florida with terrible Wi-Fi. The Wi-Fi is supposed to be given to like 200 leaders, which yeah. I was. It was given to about like 3,000 students. <laughs> and I'm sitting. We're sitting there recording off of Skype, and I'm like, of all the weeks, yeah. <laughs> like, why could why couldn't we have had this France. here in France? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I wonder uh, if we could have just been like. And the review is, <laughs> yeah, I know. Imagine, you know, Paul and I had to make France exciting. <laughs> you know, how do you do that? You guys did a great job, yeah. too. Yeah, you oh did. My I gosh. just, you know, uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to the uh, British GP moving forward. We'll oh, do this boy. Quickly, as our awards went a little long, but that was all right. I let, The awards were great. It still stings me to see the Haas on the wall of shame, but it is what it is. <sighs> British GP, call your shot. Let's go over Silverstone first. If you don't know Silverstone and you're listening to this podcast, what? <laughs> It is it is this circuit um that everybody everybody loves. It's one of the oldest circuits in racing and uh it is fast. It mm. is very, very fast. There's a good sense of flow uh from one corner to the next, despite it being very flat. Uh it was changed recently in twenty ten, which when you read up on the history, it's a historical circuit, but they haven't run the same layout for any more than like just a select few years and they're mm. always changing it. Um, the first DRS zone right after farm corner, that's corner two. It's a flat out, uh, left-hander goes into the first DRS straight. Uh, they have the maggots Beckett's complex, extremely fast left, right, left, right, left. Maybe one of the most fun corners to watch on the whole calendar. I would say Uh series of S's that leads into the second DRS straight. The flow is good. The speed is good. Uh, my only complaint i have two complaints about silverstone and mm-hmm. one of them is the total lack of elevation change but there's not much yeah. you can do about that no. so uh opinions on silverstone anybody have any hot takes on silverstone before i do mine no 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 hot takes go ahead and do yours and then tim and i'll just okay you know, chime you, in on yours. you can yeah. you can rip me apart for yeah. this all right so i play the f1 video games i'm telling you right now six to six to seven brooklyn's into yeah. Luffield. They feel the exact same as 16 and 17, which is the veil straight into the club corner complex. Yeah, man, it. I'll turn like the I'll turn the uh, lap indicators and whatnot off, uh-huh. and I'll be like, so I should be crossing the f- finish line now. Nope, I'm not halfway into the lap. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it, the flat nature just. I'm gonna say it might be a blasphemy. It's not one of my favorite tracks, but I I get the history behind it. Sure. So. That's Silverstone. Uh, you're going to rip on me for the... Uh, Silverstone, game? not his favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, wrong! <laughs> Luke! <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, for, for me, I like how fast it is. I like all the corners. My only complaint, I agree with the lack of elevation. I do like a little bit of elevation change, and that's well, why... Well, it was an airstrip, though. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's... But, the, but, like, you know, it's... My favorite's Spa, obviously. Sure. So it's, you know, I, I like that kind of thing. Sure. But... Um, my only complaint about Silverstone is that I it, I get, always get the names of the corners wrong every time. <laughs> so many corner names. <laughs> so. Stowe and, yeah. and Chapel yeah. and then Chapel. Abbey, which used to go left, but now yeah. it goes right. Yeah. yeah, and then I miss and then I mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> so I know I I liked it before they changed it, mm-hmm. and I think most of the drivers did too. Yeah, uh, they kind of neutered it, neutered it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I don't think it's blasphemy at all, Luke. Uh, it's not my favorite track on the calendar. 
Um, I think it's so steeped in in a rich history, mm-hmm. and because the UK is the spiritual home of Formula One, I think it it it's the perfect circuit for the the home race of Formula One. Mm-hmm. I, and I, there's nothing wrong with it at all. It's it, it's not my favorite track, but it is amongst them. How many teams right now call UK home? How many have their headquarters there? Uh, uh, well. Uh, all of them, but let's see. Ferrari doesn't. Uh, Alfa Romeo doesn't. Um, you could argue uh, Renault is, but they have very France. Mm-hmm. Uh, Haas has a location here in the states, but most of all of them do. I think mm-hmm. Ferrari. Am I off? Ferrari and Alfa are the only ones. Oh no, those, Toro Rosso. Toro yeah, Rosso. Yeah, because those, those are the. Yeah. Th- I I forgot about Toro Rosso. I yeah, thought it Italy. was just Alfa and yeah. Ferrari with. Uh, with their respective places. But, um, yeah, I mean, you have to have a British Grand Prix and Silverstone has yes. the, is the oldest and has mm-hmm. the most memories of the most iconic figures on it. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, you have to. Yeah, and, and I will say I don't dislike it by any by any no. measure. I just – when I have the option of racing that versus racing a different track, I'm, sure. I'm going – but the other tracks, most of the time, the great thing about Silverstone, and that's something to watch this week as we move into calling your shot, is the increase in drama. This is this is one mm-hmm. of the more meaningful races for racers to win after you know the Monaco and after yeah. Italy um, is to win that home Grand Prix for your team because, like you said, every team calls this place home. There's an especially a, a special hallowed ground for yeah. winners here. Speaking of winners, Lewis Hamilton aiming to. For his record-setting sixth win at Silverstone, the nature of the track, I think, lends itself to Mercedes. I'm going to call my shot this week. I think Mercedes is back on with a 1-2. Get in there, Lewis. <laughs> Get in there, Lewis. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me ask you this. Um, Mercedes was plagued in Austria by overheating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was a combination of things. One, it being 58 degrees Celsius on the, at the track during t- at the beginning of the race, according to Martin Brundle, yeah. um, and the altitude. Europe, as a whole, is going through one of the hottest summers they've ever had. Mm-hmm. Do we think the heat might affect the Mercedes engines again in Britain? Oh, the... The the weather is coming up. The weather report's coming up. <laughs> Todd, the, two, the, the true professional, has yeah. the answer to that. Uh, well, Silverstone's not in London, but I'm looking at the London forecast over the next five days and the highs in the low 70s. No. Okay. I don't think weather will be So I think I agree with you. Yeah. Lewis will come back. It's a Mercedes track, yep. by yeah. and large. There's well, no doubt about it. There's a ton of uh, medium and high-speed yeah. corners, and that's exactly that's where, where Mercedes find, that's finds themselves. where they dominate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Ferrari won't do well, um, and I'm curious to see how Red Bull will do against Ferrari here. Bonatti or uh, Bonato, sorry, not Bonatti, Bonato, um came out today and said that, or yeah, today and said that the for that the Ferrari oh, would well, not do well. Yeah, Matias and I were you were yeah. like this. Yeah, you, you guys <laughs> yeah. are yeah. on it. You separated yeah. at birth. Yeah. Did, why are you texting him right now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I was texting Maurizio. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, this is always a big emotion. Such a that was oh, such a. We have we have our game. own version of that, which is uh, Simon Pagino. We asked him right before yeah. he won the Indy 500, what, yeah. how would it feel to win the Indy 500? Uh, we're talking like five days before the race, and he goes, "Oh, it'd be a very special feel." <laughs> yeah, it's a very special feel. I like it. He's got the feels. Simon, <laughs> yeah. he's a good guy. Uh, good, good day. Uh, how did he survive that press tour afterward? No that was just know. brutal to watch him go through it. It, it was. was like two weeks of nonstop. Oh travel and interviews. I, I don't know how he did it. Hats off to you, Simon. I spent a lot of time with him uh, two years in a row. Uh, I did the double uh-huh. where you go to Indy and then Charlotte mm-hmm. and uh, interviewed him both. And Super good guy, mm-hmm. very press friendly, uh, really gregarious guy, um, uh, almost uh, alio type you mm-hmm. know, personality in the sense that he's always engaging and uh, it was great. Yeah. yeah. I gotta say, I was I was in my Alexander Rossi shirt and my Simon Pagano hat, and I was losing my mind. Ah, Five hundred. I'm like, I could awesome. not have had a better setup. Uh, oh, back to the uh, yes. British GP. Yep. Uh, Tim, do you have any called shots? There are a couple on here that I've called. Do you have any any, any uh, calls? I don't disagree with any of them. I think uh, I think Lewis will win. I think he'll set it for the sixth. Mm-hmm. Uh, time winning there, and uh, Bodas will be second. And I think that the only real race at and Silverstone will be for third. Um, but Who's uh, best no, of the rest, Tim? I think it'll be Seb. No, best of the oh, rest. Oh, sorry. Best of the rest. Yeah. Sorry, best of the rest. Um, think Maka can pull it off in home turf? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say yeah. You're going to say McLaren pulls well, it off? Well, the reason is, and, and Andres Seidel said it, you know, they're running legitimately fourth place. They the, are. the first time they were... I thought, okay, so it's track limited, you know, so it's track specific mm-hmm. performance. But then they duplicated it for the second, and and I think this will be the third race they duplicated. I I can see that too. Th- they they had a quote earlier this week where they were talking about how uh, they're really really pushing uh, the development of yes. the car now because they yeah. know they're in fourth place. So now it's not a game of separate yeah. yourself from the rest. It's a game of catch up with the top. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're best. Yeah, and I'm typically not one that would jump on that, but I. I legitimately think they do have a fourth place car. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I I think, yeah, Renault's not going to catch him. I no. think that the that you know Daniel Ricardo coming out and saying uh, that you know he there might be something fundamental with the car that uh, isn't that. yeah, and yeah. I think that that kind of it's shades of what to, what's to come. I think they're probably yeah. going to start focusing on the twenty twenty car here at well, some point. And I think. Uh, you know, Renault this weekend's just got to be worried to make it a Q3. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, uh, according to F1, Daniel Ricciardo's worried that the upgrades brought to Austria might have had a adverse effect on the car. Uh, his quote was was basically, um, let's see if I, I had it written somewhere, something more fundamental with the car that yeah. we have not uh, got at the top yet because we have changed a lot and we always end up with the same outcome. I think this is the week we see Renault um, if we haven't already, I think this is the week we see Renault um, fall just to not even thinking of best of the rest. And we're starting to think that somebody else is going to have to be the one to come close to McLaren. Yeah, I, and, I'm kind of curious if uh, – and you guys probably caught the story with Alpha, Fred Vesour, mm-hmm. saying right now our target's McLaren. Yep. And, I, and I, I'm intrigued because at the beginning of the season I would have pegged the best of the rest battle between Renault and Haas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now I think legitimately we may be looking at McLaren Alpha. Yeah, right. And Daniel made this comment, and the th- and we talked about this last night. Um, what's 
just what's troubling about Daniel's comment is they brought upgrades for two races in a row. And before the first race, um, oh, this would have been what, France, I guess. Um, I think so, yeah. Daniel said that looking at all the data, the the upgrades are legitimate. Mm-hmm. And he said all the data proves, and if it all works, it, it should have a serious impact. And it had nothing, right? So then they bring even more to Austria and nothing. And in Austria, he said that they had all these new parts on and the mechanics were making change to the car and the car wouldn't react to the changes. Yeah. And that's troubling. And it's also to his point that it's fundamental. I mean, they're bringing upgrades and then they're upgrading the upgrade and they're doing more yeah. to it. So you can't stop and identify what's Where's what. the baseline. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, so, yeah, I don't think that Renault would be hassling them. Uh, I think to your point, I think it will be Alpha uh, going after McLaren. And Alpha seems to be, I mean, the last two races, strong. Like uh, in Austria, they were legitimately strong. Yeah, they went three races, no points, and then the last two races have been points finishers for sure. And it could yo-yo a little Mm -hmm. between Alpha or maybe uh, track-specific Toro Rosso Mm -hmm. because they've ran relatively well. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it'll be McLaren as best of the rest and then with a possibility that Alpha puts in a strong show. Yeah. Well, you heard it here, folks. Uh, Mercedes, they're going to win a a really shocking (laughs) prediction, if I do say so myself. We are stunned. (laughs) Breaking news. That is way out of the sandbox on this one. That that is the hottest take of 2019. You heard it here. (laughs) Mercedes returns to Dominus. Lewis uh, gets his record-setting sixth win. Uh, McLaren, best of the rest. I think that's going to wrap it up. I'm Luke. I'm Tim. And I'm Todd. And uh, this has been the Formation Lab with 101 ESPN. See you guys next week. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. Aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price $999.99. APR while supplies last. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!